Okay. All right, I think we are live. So, first things first, um, I am live with, and tell me if I get this wrong, Dr. Ronald Hill. Is that correct? That is correct. Excellent. So, um, I just wanted to say how grateful I am that uh, you came on here. I've been a huge fan of yours for years. I've read your work. I've seen your lectures, especially on uh, parenting and raising of disabled children, and I've found all of that very, sorry for the term, but inspiring. And um, so the fact that you answered my unsolicited email and agreed to come on to my silly little corner of the Internet where, frankly, at least of this recording, no one pays any attention to, I was kind of flattered. So uh, thank you much. Oh, uh, do you prefer Dr. Hill, Dr. Ronald Hill, Dr. I mean, does it matter to you? Uh, actually, we don't have to be so formal. You can just call me Ron. Okay. 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 And uh, if you don't mind, uh, do you want to explain the nature of our acquaintanceship? Um, well, that's kind of a difficult question. I'm not really... <laughs> I'm not okay. sure what, uh, what context you're talking about. Here. Ooh, very good, very good. Um, I don't think I have an answer to that. So now that my <laughs> my little plan has completely imploded, I will just cut the shit and say that uh, the good doctor here is... Come on, help me out here. Don't leave me hanging. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, so uh, Dr. Hill is my dad, and that's why he... He knows everything about me. So, um, wow, that was not what I expected. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, I was planning this for so long. I thought it'd be so funny. Okay, so, um, so Dad, welcome. Well, Thanks for hanging like, out. You would like me to be funny. You didn't mention. No, that. yeah, I, I thought it would be. I don't know what I thought. I didn't think anything. Um, no, not not you. Just. I, I think the image I had in my head was there's me who some people still are like, oh, what are you, in your early 20s? And I'm like, no, it's been a very long time since then. And then there's you who looks so much more, you know, actually it's not about age. It's about distinguishedness because I've gotten stupid glasses on, I've gotten stupid facial hair that it looks like crap. And then uh, as we both talked about before this started, uh, we're kind of fuzzy and awkward looking, at least in terms of just the raw image. And then you've got the... Could I interrupt you for a moment? Yeah. Uh, you introduced me at some point as your dad, and I need yes. to clarify a point oh. here. Is uh, okay. uh, even though I did raise you, and uh, you know we've always had that kind of father-son relationship, you do bear a slight resemblance to the mailman. <laughs> well, I have no memory of whatever mailman we might have had at the time, so <laughs> I can't corroborate that. Although, if you have any pictures, I guess we could do that. So, um, what was I going to say? I was going to, oh, um, I think you had asked me, like, oh, you know, what's this going to be? What do you, what do you want to do here? And um, as I talked to, I, I don't think you've had a chance to see it, but um, the last one of these I did was with uh, Terry Sacri, I think, uh, sorry, Terry, if I mispronounced your last name, um, and we just chatted about stuff, and I had a couple of things that I was interested in with him specifically, and then beyond that, it just rolled. So there are a couple things that I wanted to talk to you about just because I'm curious, and I think um, anybody watching would be curious about it. But um, I liked how we started last time with Terry. So let's just go general. How are you doing? What's up? What are you doing? 
Well, um, I am having the time of my life. Wow, am, excellent. I am currently in a small village in Kent, which is a county in uh, the UK, and I'm basically I'm between the village, the ancient village of Sandwich, and uh, Dover, which is known as the the port where people go across on the ferry between uh, Calais, France, and uh, um, Dover in England. Uh, so I'm very I'm down in the southeast corner of England, and I've been down here for about three months and looking forward to returning to Paris uh, just two days after Christmas. So I'm, I'm here for less than a week, but I've been enjoying this. The, uh, I, I am staying at bed and breakfast, and the people here have been very, very kind and, and welcomed me not only into their family, the people that own the bed and breakfast, but their extended family, and I've gotten to know quite a few people in the village. So it's been a, a wonderful, welcoming, uh, very hospitable uh, time here, but I, I am uh, also ready to return to Paris. I'm more of a city boy than <laughs> of I'm course. a village boy. So, um, But I've had, been having a great time. I've been going around seeing some of the historical sites, and the one thing, one of the things, I should say, that attracted me to this part of Kent is Sandwich, and uh, one of the, uh, well, I guess you could call him one of the founding fathers uh, of the U.S., of America, um, is Thomas Paine, or Tom Paine. Right, yeah, I, yeah of course, Mr. Paine. And, and he lived in, uh, before coming to the States, he lived in uh, Sandwich, and he was a corset maker there. And then I he got idea. <laughs> That's crazy. Got, I had no idea. He got into a little bit of politics, and then, of course, when he came over uh, to the States, somehow he fell in with all of these revolutionaries, uh, you know, the whole, the whole list, Benjamin Franklin, Washington, everyone. And then after that, after he helped uh, found a new country, he went to France and helped them with their revolution. So because of that historical connection, I, I was curious about the area, and uh, the, it, it certainly is one of the oldest parts of England and just full of history, so I've been enjoying myself. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's great. That's fantastic. I, in fact, more than I uh, was was seeking. Um, it's interesting. I could, you, I could also. <laughs> well, could, yeah. certainly in, in a second. You want to what, hear about What you said initially about the time of your life, um, I, I, I find that... Um, is it ingratiating? No, that's not the right word. Um, anyway, uh, because when I first told your current adventure to a friend of mine, um, she was like, oh my god, I'm so jealous of, of him. Like, he just gets to gallivant around Europe. And um, I don't know why I didn't expect your reaction to what you're currently doing to be less, but it's like, oh wow, that's, you know, I, I mean, I think you are sort of living a dream that a lot of people have. In fact, when I was in Europe in April, um, it was great, but uh, the difference between your trip and my trip was that um, I was obviously on a budget, I was on a schedule, like there's certain goals in place of like, oh, I've got to go and see this at this time because if not, you know, it's going to be closed tomorrow, whatever. And it has sounded like yours has been more of um, a bit of a wandering than a destination, if that makes any sense. Uh, yes and no. Uh, a wandering, <laughs> yes. But, uh, you were on uh, vacation, you were on a holiday, you had just a 
really a brief amount of time you were here. Yeah. Uh, I've been staying in places for months at a time. So I've become almost like a, a, a part of the community to some extent. Um, so so it's, it's um, I don't know exactly how to explain it. You know, obviously I'm still a tourist and I'm still traveling, but my traveling is on a much slower pace so that I can get to know people. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that makes perfect sense. In fact, when you said that you were part of the family, part of the extended family, it's like, uh, when I was in Mexico for six months or whatever it was, um, I wouldn't go as poetic as I became part of the family. Um, I think that sort of sentiment was there, um, but definitely, you know, I was included in everything because I was living with them. So if we went out, I went with them. If we went to dinner, I went with them. Um, and their son, who was, you know, about my age, maybe a couple of months older, uh, we became quite close, and so I think definitely it was it was a similar experience. And then um, one of the things that kind of feels odd to me about those experiences, though, is that once that trip was over, um, you know, I think when people are in those circumstances, they make polite promises like, oh, let's stay in touch. And I think everyone has the best of intentions, but I don't think I've seen or heard from the youngest in that family um, since then. And in fact, I saw a picture of him a few years ago, and uh, he was obviously an adult by this point, and it was, it's the kind of thing where, um, when I was a kid, it annoyed me, but I now understand it. Whenever adults told me when I was a kid, oh, you're growing so fast, or whatever, it was like, well, yeah, no shit, it's a biological process, why wouldn't I? But then when I saw this picture of him, I was like, my god, he's like a giant. <laughs> he was like three feet tall last time I saw him. So well, I, I just... Can I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Um, why is it that you didn't keep in touch? Um, well, I, I did with the oldest with whom I, you know, became the closest. Um, I, that's a good question. I think I think with the youngest, um, I didn't, I mean, we weren't friends exactly. Like, we're like, you know, ten years apart and uh, living in different worlds. You know, he was still prepubescent uh, when I knew him and I was about to finish high school. Um, and I honestly, I think the, the thought just didn't really cross my mind. Um, the daughter, uh, the middle child, um, we were closer in age, but um, in fact, it's weird. I think she kind of acknowledged this in her like goodbye letter to me. I don't have it. I, I don't think anywhere, but I recall that she basically said something along the lines of, "Well, we weren't that close, but you're a, a nice guy." It's <laughs> like, but, okay, thanks. But you were you were still in high school at that point. Yeah, but I was finishing. I mean, I was like senior, right. so it was. It I, was I guess the point I'm trying to make here is uh, is basically because because of my age, because I'm retired, or shall we say semi-retired, um, those connections are much more important. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. That's Maybe. basically what it is, is, you know, I left my home in New York City, and I certainly have friends there, but when I left and went to, uh, to Paris, which was my first stop, I basically was starting over. In other words, I had to develop friends, and then, of course, once you've gone through the process of going to a foreign country where you don't speak the language or very much of it, those connections become very important. And I found, and uh, I've been traveling now for nine months, that wow, uh, nine months. I it just the, yeah. the people that I've been, the people that I really want to stay in contact with, 
the list keeps getting longer and longer, which is a good thing, but I seem to spend more and more time emailing or texting them, and that's all good, and that's what I was hoping would happen, and right. certainly, you know, I'm, I'm going back to Paris, but only for a month, and then I'm going places I haven't been before. For instance, after that, I'll be in Marseille, which is in the south of France, and I'm still toying with this idea, but uh, after there, after a month in Marseille, I'll be going to Valencia, and uh, a month there, spending less time in each place. Right. And I'll be in Morocco, which is going to be probably the largest cultural adjustment yeah. that I will make. Yeah, when you told me that, I thought, I, okay, this, is, <laughs> this will sound very silly. And actually, I think it's pre-colonial, this idea in my head, um, and not very good, but... I saw you in a fez. Actually, I think that's even the wrong culture, so apologies to everyone. I think it's pretty close. I mean, oh, okay. it sounds like you're, you're watching a rerun of the movie Casablanca. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of... It's it's really dumb that, that that's the image that sticks in my head because obviously we all know that Casablanca was obviously not even filmed, and it was filmed in fucking Burbank, so it's not like it has any even remote connection to the actual that, place other than... Those old movies, like movies of the... French Foreign Legion trudging across the sands of Sierra. I mean, that's, you know, camels. That's really, that's our image, isn't it? And uh, yeah. interestingly enough, uh, in the UK, I've, I've told a few people that I'm going to Morocco just to find out, first of all, what they'll say. And if they'd been there, um, whether or not they enjoyed themselves. Because I must admit, I'm a little. Um, apprehensive, I guess that's the right word, and the people who have never been there, I think this is very interesting, they say, oh, you know, this is going to be horrible, you're going to get mur <laughs> murdered, you're going to get murdered the first day you're there, and, you know, had all these precautions of, you know, uh, put your money here and don't put it there, and, uh, you know, a long list of things from people who have never been there. Yeah, now, well, I mean, I think that's the sort of interesting thing is it's... The people that have been there, the people that I've talked to, they say, oh, I mean, they get excited and say, it's wonderful, you're going to love yourself, you're going right. to love your experience there. So so there's, uh, I haven't heard anything bad about it. Really. <laughs> well, that's good. So I'm, so I'm excited. Um, I actually would love to continue on that track, but uh, there are a couple things that I wanted to to jump into with you. And don't let me forget about what you mentioned about the uh, little tiny towns in England, because there's something I, I want to get your opinion on um, about that that I just found out recently. So let's set that aside. Yeah. But um, one of the things I wanted to get into was um, I have often been asked uh, my family slash religious background uh, sometimes because people want to know how I came to the place I am at. And it's a funny thing because um, even though I, I can't identify it, obviously, you know, we, we went to that Episcopalian church in Hillsborough, and then we went to the Unity Church in Beaverton and, and so on. Right. Um, I, what I, the, the place I get stuck at is that's my immediate background, but I, I start to wonder, well, how did we get there, like to those places? Now, I know some of the story, and I'm not asking you to retell the whole thing, of course, but... I, I know that mom, I think, was raised in that church, but I realized, in fact, somebody asked me about this the other day. 
the I'm Episcopal Church. Oh, oh, I just wanted to clarify that what the church you're talking about is the Episcopal Church, which oh, is where her, mo- where, where her mother was. Is there a difference was between Episcopal and Episcopalian? Or am I just uh, getting it wrong? I think the Episcopal, well, I'm, I don't think there's any difference. Okay. One of them is the religion, the other one is the person, I think. I think you're absolutely right, and now I have been bitched on on YouTube. Look at that. Um, yes, I, I, no, and I, and I, of course, her mother was the organizer, and, and, and <laughs> that's that's not my place of confusion or even or anything else. But I realized because, um, in fact, somebody asked me about this not too long ago. They said, "Oh, what was your dad?" And I was like, "Well, I think he was raised in a Lutheran church, but I honestly don't really know anything about that." Um, so I just wanted to ask you from in whatever way you would like to retell it, uh, what was your experience? Like, I'm, I know you were born and, and raised in Spokane, Washington, but I, I, and, and sort of as an addition to this, I've often heard, um, sometimes from mom, the, the mockery of Norwegian Lutheranism as sort of being this depressing thing. But I, again, I realize I'm, I'm pretty ignorant of the whole thing. So again, I, I don't, I'm not asking you to retell like, well, I was born here on this day, and then the next day was like this, and the next day was like that, but just sort of a general picture of what your Lutheran upbringing was, even assuming that it was that. Uh, yes, you're correct in, in that it was Lutheran, and it was also Norwegian Lutheran, and I, I guess one point that I would like to mention, which mm-hmm. which I, looking back on it, I found amusing, was when I was a small child, uh, when I went to church, they were speaking some language I didn't understand, which was Norwegian. But wow, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> but I assumed as a small child that it was like going to a Catholic church and they're speaking Latin. So I assumed that whatever this language was they were speaking was the holy language or the language of the church, which I suppose, uh, you know, if you look at it a certain way, it was. And um, something I actually, uh, my cousin in, uh, uh, who lives in San Diego, he recently sent me this um, family tree and uh, oh. part of what he said in there, because I thought that uh, my mother's mother, my grandmother on my mother's side, had come over on the boat from Norway. Oh, wow. And she had, and I think she had 12 siblings. So it was a very large family, and I asked my I asked my cousin. I said, "I don't understand this. They all spoke English with a with a very very thick Norwegian accent." And he said, "Well, no, they didn't come over on the boat. What happened is their ancestors obviously came over on the boat, and they settled in a village where they were all Norwegians. Right. So there was reason for them to earn learn English." Uh, but anyway, that is my background, and uh, I it was it was I suppose you might say it was a strict background. It was an anti-Catholic. Uh, Interesting. I didn't realize and it was anti-Catholic. I mean, what do you mean by that? What, were you say told Catholics are bad, or were you say told like don't hang out with them or they're wrong? Or I mean, what, what did that look like? All of the above. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, you have to realize, I mean, this is really not that complicated, that Martin Luther was the guy that, that put the Protestant Reformation into, probably didn't mean to do it, but he put it into a play. So basically, the things that he saw as a priest was 
these things are wrong, and I'd like to change them. And the Catholic Church, well, the Pope, decided, well, we need to get rid of this guy. I mean, literally, have him murdered. And so um, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, and so he started his own church, or at least people around him started it. And I think I'm going off on a tangent here. You just want well, to... Well, I'm aware who Martin Luther was, so... <laughs> um, but, no, I was just... I was curious about... Um, because I think anyone born after, say, 1975, and certainly after 1980, is not used to an experience where one's family and immediate community actively denigrates another community, at least on a socially acceptable level. Like, I very rarely ran into that when I was growing up, where, where someone would pronounce with confidence and a sense of authority, like, this group of people is not okay for whatever reason. Obviously, things kind of were shoved under the rug. Like, I remember people yeah. making comments that would basically equate that, um, but I don't remember anyone... Here, because you uh, are a self-pronounced atheist, is that not right. correct? Yeah. Which which brings with it a whole the the whole package of what is an atheist. Well, I mean, we could spend forever on that. Uh, at least is it, it is possible to do that? But but I is is it not anti-religious? Well, I uh, see now that's a that's a very 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 common misconception and in fact another common misconception is that um people will say to me, "Oh, so you you like I don't even know how to put it. Like they think that uh, we believe positively that there is uh, no no, okay, let me rephrase. Is that um that's in fact that's why agnostic. Well, no, no, I'm not agnostic is just a lack of knowledge. Um, but the thing is, is that um, one can be both, and I, in fact, I, I, I identify as uh, both because. Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Okay, because in order to say I'm unconvinced, I have to say I don't. You know, I can't prove one. Now, there's another aspect to that, which is I am convinced that there's no Yahweh, the specific. Uh, Jewish and Christian deity, because the evidence presented for his existence I don't find compelling. Just as I'm unconvinced that there is no Zeus, because the evidence presented for him. Now, okay. if there is a can thing... I stop you? Can I stop you for a moment? Yeah. The, yeah. Only reason, the only reason I brought that up is because you, you, you were saying people born after a certain year in the 70s don't have these kind of prejudices, or at least... No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said, I, I, there, I think it's, it is less socially acceptable for one born after that. I think the world in which people were born in after that was less accepting of, like, openly denigrating an entire community, just, like, uh, pronouncing it with authority. I, 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 and so it's you're just, talking it's, about the, the uh, takeover of the world by the politically correct. Well, I, I mean, I'm not saying that so much. I'm just saying that it, it seems to me that on some level, it be, I have seen footage and interviews and heard anecdotes from people of, like, my parents said don't hang out with these people specifically because they are of this community. Like, this is not good. And I don't know that many people born after a certain year who can... Who make the same claim? Who say like we were right. told specifically, right. do not hang out with these people? 
Right. But, well, I, I, I will differ with you, but I understand your point of view. Uh, well, it's just it's a suggestion. It's it's not like a full blown theory that I have, and I can back up with lots of evidence. It's just it's a thing that I, I feel like I've kind of noticed. Um, and so when you said you were told like you were against Catholics, right. that surprises me because from my point of view, from my perspective, and being raised and growing up in this country and in the culture I was raised in, that sounds like th that sounds weird to me. Like that sounds like ooh, you don't want to do that because we all right. live in this coexisting thing. Well, it's interesting because uh, at one point, this was years later, I ran across this old hymnal and service book. Uh, I'm not really sure what they called it, but it, it was very old, uh, probably written in the 1800s sometime. A Lutheran, just a little like a pocket-sized book, and I was looking through there, and there's a lot of hymns in there. But if you go in the back, it actually has tracks in there about how priests are evil. And I mean, wow, I had no I'm, idea. I'm <laughs> oversimplifying here, but I showed that to my mother, who was definitely a devout Lutheran, and wow. I'm reading out of this book, and she said, no, 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 that's wrong. You, whatever you're saying is wrong. I mean, she, it was so apparent. It was for her, and maybe this was just because it was an old book, but the the teaching was there, so I have to think that somehow, at some level, that's what she was taught. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But like you said, um, as far as political correctness, it's all pretty much gone underground. But if in my travels, if I'm with somebody in a private conversation having coffee, they will talk about certain religions, certain nationalities. They have the jokes. I mean, all of that's still there. They're just very careful about who they say that. Well, and, and that's the thing that I'm, I'm saying is different. Because I'm so close to Dover, and Dover is an, uh, a major entry for immigrants from Africa, from the Middle East, the, the white um, traditional English here, they have some very, very strong opinions about any kind of immigrants. Hmm. Now, well, that doesn't shock me. I mean, they won't talk about that in public, but if you get into a private conversation, you can't stop them. They just go on and on and on about it. And they do certainly do have their legitimate gripes, but like I said, it's just barely below the surface. Right. Well, and um, to go back to the earlier thing, I, I, I was in the middle of... Uh correcting misconception. I, I mean, I can't speak for other people who identify as atheists because I don't know all of them. Uh, but And there are some, definitely, who are vehemently anti-anything religious, anti-anything uh, theistic. Um, interpret that however you will. I'm not quite that way. I'm, I'm against the, the legislation of morality in general and then specifically based on anything other than are all coming together and figuring out the best possible way to do something. And I, I know that's really vague, but um, yes. when I... Well, you might I consider think, moving to another country. Huh? You might consider moving well, to another country. Yeah, possibly. Well, it's just, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't hate groups, even though the parlance makes it easier to say. Like, I have often said publicly I hate Mormons. Well, that's not really true. I don't hate 
Mormon people. I don't hate the group of Mormons. What I do hate is the organization that tells its adherents that its prophet, I think that's right, speaks directly for God. Like, it's not, it's not an intercessor. It is whatever he says is God speaking. Because so that is... Would it be safe for me to say that you probably didn't vote for Mitt Romney? Yes, I, I didn't vote for Mitt Romney. But I, I, uh, to finish that point, I'm, one of the reasons that I have a problem with that is that when, you, when, when a group, no matter how big it is, says this person has this much authority and it is unquestioned authority, I think that inevitably leads to all kinds of bad stuff, even with the best of intentions. And I, I saw this interview. Whether it's a religious group, whether it's a religious group or a political group or any kind of group. Is that what you're oh, talking yeah, about? yeah. It's just the, the tendency I see is that with religious groups, what is easier to happen is unquestioned authority can more easily be established because there is the conceit that there is something divine which is, you know, beyond and above all of us that by its very nature is beyond our questioning. Like, our questioning of it doesn't pretty matter at that point. But if it's you're just a government, there's nothing inherent to some, the government. Right. You're Sorry? talking about some you're talking about some sort of faith based religion. Well, yeah, I mean, whatever term you want to put around, what I'm saying is I see a fundamental difference between the two, because even if um, Stalin says... The word is faith. faith. Well, yeah, but I I think faith can apply to a lot of things that aren't necessarily... Well, I can't can't prove there is a God, I can't prove there isn't a God. Right. But, But with, like, Stalin, we can prove that he was born, and we can prove that he did breathe oxygen, and... So I feel like there's a fundamental difference between that and then any religious system you might care to mention because if someone had said during Stalin's reign, well, you're just a guy, that is demonstrably true. Um, Had he claimed, however, oh, you know, the great god of ancient Russia bestowed the throne upon me, they can't claim, they can't prove that that didn't happen. You know, it's just, it's impossible. You can't can't disprove that, uh, that kind of claim. It's unfalsifiable, but had he said, I am a god, it's kind of like the story of, uh, was it Caligula in ancient Rome, you know, who said he was a god, and then, you know, somebody stabbed him, and he died. Like, well, so much for that, <laughs> you know. I guess I'm not following where you're going with this. Well, all I'm saying is that you're right, that I am against uh, any institution or organization which claims authority that is unquestionable, but the difference that I see is that with, say, Stalinist Russia, it is based on a man, and it's demonstrable that it's based on a man. It's not based on the divine. But if a system claims revelation from the divine, there's nothing you can say about that. You can't say, well, you didn't get that, because you can't prove that. If, right. however, Stalin had claimed that he was a god, well, he died. So gods don't die, at least last time I checked. And, and you know, setting aside some Christian stuff, if we just go by the very basic of a god as, say, I don't know, invulnerable and immortal, all you had to do was um, shoot Stalin in the head to de- demonstrate that he was not invulnerable or immortal. But those claims weren't made of him, so ultimately, mm-hmm. even if he was a very charismatic and powerful figure, he was ultimately mortal, and therefore at some point his reign would end, inevitably. Like, it was going to happen. Even if he lived to 100 years old, it was going to end. 
So if his authority was based entirely on his charisma or his frighteningness, yeah. all of that would eventually end. But if you base a system like the Mormons do on our prophet is a direct voice of God and you, you maintain a system that every prophet is, that's an unending chain of unquestionable authority. Because at no point will you be, if one prophet dies, you just appoint another one and then same thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. I think I but got actually, your, huh? I think I got your point that humans aren't gods, right? But and 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 so when we base power on humans, it's easy to it's easier to um to to topple or whatever. I mean, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> as you said, we got it. Um, specifically along the same roots of, of the Lutheran thing, I wanted to ask you if you remember, um being taught specific doctrines like, I don't know, about hell or whatever, because one of the things that I am grateful for uh, from you and mom is that I was never taught that A, hell exists, or B, that it was a real place, like a literal real place, because there's a lot of left-leaning Christians who claim, oh, it, it's not really the fire and brimstone place, that's not true, it's more of a you just feel a separation from God, and we could, you know, discuss the differences there forever. But, but the yeah. point being that, that just that that's what I've been told. But I never received that from you yeah. guys. Something that I've been wondering about. I mean, basically, it's it's the the, the power of those ideas that you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and and I'll have neat things that I can do when I get there, or else I'm going to go to hell and I'll be tortured for eternity. Those seem pretty clear-cut, but uh, uh, there's another aspect of this, and it's just it seems to just be a power thing, and I'm not necessarily saying that power's a bad thing, uh, but I was just, uh, last week I was at Canterbury Cathedral, and uh, I don't know exactly what year it was built, but there was some kind of religious structure there before the present one was there, has has been there in that same spot for 1400 years. Well, wow. that's a long time, isn't it? 1400 years. And uh, if if you just think back and imagine 1400 years ago in England, I would imagine people most people were just subsistence living. They were living in huts probably, yeah. sleeping with pigs and whatnot. Yeah, probably. And yet there is this magnificent, magnificent building that took, I'm sure, years, uh, if not centuries, to build. And even today, you walk into it, and you're just awestruck by the fact Oh, yeah, that I've been there, uh, and I felt exactly that way. I was like, holy shit, this is just astounding. And I think the church, of course, when it was built, it was still the Catholic Church. It was before the Reformation. Yeah. Um, it just amazes me how people bought that idea of, okay, if I'm really good in this lifetime and, and do nice stuff and I believe, then I'm going to go to heaven. Well, if you lived in that kind of a world, and, and I'm sure it was just really pretty horrible world to live in, you know? Yeah. Was, <laughs> I imagine so. It was very a very subsistence level to live in, and 
people, you know, there was a black plague and people died from what we would consider pretty minor things, diseases. Yeah. You know, women, women died in childbirth and if I was living in that situation and somebody said, look, this is what's going to happen. This is our plan. This is a crappy, crappy, crappy world we live in. We all admit that. But you know what? If you do a few simple things here, we guarantee that you're going to live in a perfect world for the rest of you, the rest of time or right. whatever. And if you're bad, then you're going to go to this other place. Right. Well, I think I would, I would really want to believe that. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. Now, the reason I said that is because I've been bicycling around the area here, and just about every village, no matter how small it is, has an ancient stone church in it. And you know that all of the, the, the regular houses probably were made of wood. And these churches are centuries old, and, and, uh, uh, and yet, guess what? They're dying because nobody goes to them anymore. I mean, I you have to have, that's true. You have to have a certain number of people willing to keep the church going. And um, the places, at least where I've been, they're struggling. They're struggling uh, and failing in a lot of places. Uh, I went by um, a church uh, in a small hamlet nearby that was sold, and now somebody's living in it as a house. Well, that basically says there aren't a whole lot of people out there that believe that old myth about heaven and hell. And they're getting on with their lives. And so the old ways are dying out. Now, maybe it'll be another 1,400 years, but you know, a lot of these old churches are just going to crumble because really, of course, that's Europe. You know, America, <laughs> America, there's a lot of born-again Christians and... Uh, well, I'm, I'm looking for a polite word. Basically, not a lot of people in Europe seem to be that faithful anymore. Well, no, I mean, obviously that is, I mean, you can look at any any casual statistics and that, that is the case. Um, and I, I sympathize that, yeah, those are some pretty buildings that are probably falling into disuse, although I would make the exact same argument about palaces and castles. You know, we don't have, we don't have kings anymore, at least not the way we used to 1,400 years ago, and uh, no one's crying over that. Um, and yes, wow. well, our modern uh, kings of industry, uh, they're building their own castles. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly, yeah. It's, it I mean, keeps going on, it just has a different face. Yeah, it just changes, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I actually don't remember if you specifically answered, but so you, you were told that there was a hell and it was literal. You know, I'm really not clear on that. I, I was taught Bible stories. Right. So nobody ever sat you down and said, hey, little Ronnie, like, by the way, <laughs> there's this place that's... No, no. I, and I, think that, I think that is part of the difference between being a Lutheran, being a Protestant in general, and being Catholic, because the Catholic Church has all these layers, you know. you Like, as a Lutheran, I could pray to, to God or Jesus or whoever, and uh, evidently, I'm not a Catholic, so I don't know all the all the details, but basically the priest is the uh, the go-between between, between right. you and yeah. you and Christ. And I think that's the fundamental difference. I mean, I'm sure somebody else uh, that has a better 
background on religion could tell you more, but basically I don't remember being taught that God is a fearful God, that God is going to punish you. Well, that's interesting you say that because um, one of my friends was raised in the Southern Baptist tradition, and um, she said well, that... Fire and brimstone there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. She said that it, it was quite literal. I mean, she, she was pounded into her head. It was quite literal, and um, she said that one of the ways that she, she spoke about hell was that she said that um, it, it was not only being considered a literal place that you really did go if you really did do certain things, and it really would last forever, but that every authority in her life confirmed it, like parents, friends, parents, you know, the, the church, the everyone she knew in school, just every corner she could turn, people were confirming the same thing. And right. the, the discussion we were having on these occasions was, I would say, you know, I, I'm grateful that I don't have this fear, I never had it, and 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 she said, you know, it, it's it's freeing because when when she lost her faith, eventually, she said, you know, what was freeing about it was that, on the one hand, she was re kind of resentful of the authorities in her life having told her lies, but the other hand, it was so nice to know that she didn't have to be afraid anymore. And that's why I asked you because you've never struck me as ever having been afraid of that concept, and yet, as you just observed in America, it's it, Can you back in, up a little bit here. I'm sorry. Because can we back up a little oh, yeah. bit? Here? You said that this woman was upset. I don't remember the exact word you used, but about being told lies. But the thing is, the people that were telling that, telling her those things, I I think they were sincere. I think they. Oh no, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it just for lack of a better term, I and, and actually, I, I guess I should have been clear on that because I, in fact, when I've when I've heard fellow non-believers like me say this person lied to me it's like well that's not quite accurate because in fact a lie as you said it's a, a lie is when you know that you're not saying something true and you're doing it anyway and so I, I think there are other yeah so no you're right you're right to call me on that because I, I think there is a difference but I think the thing is that when, sometimes when people say a lie about what they were told they feel like it was with malicious intent because it feels bad so that's well, what she has. You can say that somebody was trying to control your life and your psyche. Yes, I would say that yes. the intent, I mean, I would go so far as to say the intent was an evil intent. By Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's to, why when, when I've I'm seen... Not um, to, uh, I'm, not, I'm trying not to describe these people in a demeaning way, but, uh, you know, I really think that that has a lot to do with it because they were... They were trying to scare her. They were trying to control her, and it probably worked for quite a while. Yeah, and and she's not the only one I've heard that from. I've I've heard since so many people over the years who are like, I, I, even I've even met non-believers who say, you know, I know it's all bullshit, but I still there's just a tiny part of me that's afraid of hell. And to oh, me, that I mean, I I even every once in a while, even though I wasn't really raised that way. But it's scary to think one day you're not going to exist. Oh, absolutely. One day, one day you're going to be dead, and you don't have any control over that. Well, and I think that's the biggest reason why um, religious traditions have as much power and control as they do, because um, I was actually, I think I told you this before, but I was talking to Mom a lot of years ago about this stuff in general, not, not 
quite as profoundly as we are. It was a very servicey conversation, but yeah. um, she basically just said straight out, I can't live in a universe without meaning. And what I found interesting about that was she didn't say that she didn't think it was true. She didn't say... But what basically she was expressing was, I find this concept so reprehensible that I'm going to simply ignore it and pretend that it's something else because I would rather be this something else. And I didn't get into it with her because, frankly, I, I didn't feel like it. Um, and I, I don't intend what was, to... What was, the, what was the term that you used or that she used? Um, I don't know which term. <laughs> I'm not sure what well, you're referring you were, to. Saying, I, I guess you were saying that she believed in something because she couldn't fathom the idea of not believing in Well, it was, it was even more specific. It wasn't she couldn't fathom. It was that she didn't want to live in that kind of a universe. She, she found that concept undesirable. And so she what, what, was... But what was the concept? Say, say oh, the, oh, just a, a universe without meaning, a universe without a controlling entity. Well, uh, I guess I would beg to differ about that because... All you have to do is look out the window and look at the trees and the, the beautiful gardens and the sun coming up and say, what else do you want? It's well, a beautiful <laughs> world. You know, it's a beautiful I, world. What else do you want? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I, I, I understand that there is a common sentiment that the idea of someone not being at the steering wheel, some people find excruciatingly disturbing. And I'm not one of those, but... I have well, I'll tell you what I have fear of. I don't understand, and this is true, I don't understand it. Not that I should, but I, it's kind of scary to think that we're on a planet in space and there's nothing holding our planet up. That's scary. It's like, what if the planet all of a sudden decided to just go shooting off somewhere? <laughs> or what if it started to fall? Of course, in space, there's no up and down. Well, I was, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think there's some even pretty dumb physicists who could explain that for you <laughs> to your satisfaction. Well, but, yeah, well, I, I'm I understand. Sure. I'm sure. But just the concept, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't take much of a step to go from, wow, how come I don't just float off into space? How come I'm sitting here on this planet and it's spinning through the universe? And part of me wants to say, this guy over here is in control, and part of me knows maybe there is something in control, but if I knew what it was, if I really understood or tried to understand, or somebody gave me that knowledge, I think my skull would explode. I, <laughs> Possibly. And, and so the way I leave it is, hey, it's all working pretty well, so why don't we just enjoy it? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, to warn you, we're we're coming close to the end, although we're not quite there. Um, and before we get there, uh, one other little question I want to ask you about this uh, background of your Luther background is uh, there's one and there's another thing that I alluded to earlier. So the first thing is um, I don't mean to insinuate that there was such an occasion, but did you ever reach a point in your youth where you found what you were being told in your church less convincing, and, and that, that sounds leading. I'm not sure how else to phrase it. What I mean by this is I did reach a point, like a several points, when we were in Unity where I would bump into these walls where I would kind of go, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it wasn't even with the intention of disproving it. It wasn't, it, I had no goal in mind at the time. I just, I would hear something and go, huh, well, that's an odd concept. And 
I couldn't really find anything satisfactory about it. For example, um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was an occasion, I think I was 17, when one of my teachers, I don't, I don't remember their names, they, they said in this one class that everything had a soul, like every molecule, every rock, everything. Well, and at the time... This was like in a church? Was yeah, a church yeah, yeah. class? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was in Unity. It was in, it was in YOU, uh, Youth of Unity. Yeah. And yeah. I, I found the concept laughable. And now, obviously, what we're looking at in context is like, well, why is it any more laughable than anything else is being taught? But, but I did. And I called them on it. And I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How does that work? I mean, what are the mechanics behind this? What is the process? Because it, it, yeah. it looked at the time like they were just, boom, here, this is. And there was no basis for it. And then, in fact, this is the interesting part. When I came home, uh, mom was kind of mad at me because they, they had told her, like, hey, Anton's being disruptive and he's, you know, he's being a dick. And she asked me what went down. And I, I stood my ground. I said, well, this is what they said. Like, do you think this is true? And what was interesting was she couldn't bring herself to agree with it, but she also couldn't bring herself to say that what I had done was okay because I had been disruptive. I mean, that was true. Um, but she, she couldn't say, yes, this is true. They are correct. You are wrong. And that was one of the key moments where I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> they, pres they and she are supposedly within the same sphere. You know, it's all part of the same church, and yeah. they are all claiming the same authority. And they claimed something that seemed ridiculous. And all mom had to do was say, oh, yeah, that's totally true. And now we would have had another conversation, of course, she and I, but, but she didn't. And that was one of the moments where I was like, are you people even reading this? <laughs> like, where are you getting this then? If, if on this pretty fundamental thing, a very, very strong claim about reality, you don't see eye to eye on. So why should I believe any of this bullshit? <laughs> Which I didn't actually, I didn't arrive at that conclusion at that point. But, but that's sort of what I'm asking is, did you ever have a point of that where, I don't know, say maybe somebody said, oh, you know, if you're not careful when you go to sleep, there's a succubus that will come and eat your soul. Did you, were you like, well, what, what, what did you say? Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think the. I think it was basically. I got very involved in doing things, and uh, as you know, I was I I dropped out of high school and was on the road for a year. That was between you know 17, 18 years old, and when I came back from that experience and started college, one of the first courses that I took was uh, the philosophy of religion. And pretty much, I, I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about this stuff. Well, that's what it has always seemed to me. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I mean, it, basically, it was, I really didn't, I didn't really care that much. But, right. but, but when, I, when I got to this course, this philosophy of religion course, it, 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 basically, it was, I, thought, I thought he was a very good professor. And he, he was able to say, to, to question enough to say, you know, there's a lot of religions, and they believe this, and they believe that, and, well, you know, you got to take it all with a grain of salt, and I thought, well, yeah, I think I'll just take all this with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, I wasn't really, a, after that point, I was not really a churchgoer. I think I went to church once a year uh, for Christmas, because the school had nuns, and they had a Christmas you know, mass, and I just went there out of respect for for the nuns who were the teachers. That's, that's interesting. That's really all I ever did, as far as 
attending church, and I just uh, I just didn't worry about that stuff. Yeah, I, I, that's sort of what I have actually always said about you when people have asked me, even though I was speaking from obviously a place of not complete authority because I'm not you, but that was always the impression that I had gotten was that ultimately whatever implication was there wasn't really important. You just you just didn't care enough to to worry yeah. about it. Um, and I think actually uh, this last thing I wanted to get into is, yeah, this is going to be uh, probably the last bit before if there's anything you would like to draw attention to or plug. I don't think you have any website or anything, so yeah, perhaps not. Five minutes or ten minutes? Uh, or ten minutes. Um, and this is this is kind of dangerous because it's possibly a giant issue, but um, when you're speaking about English villages, I was reminded of, I learned this very recently, and I, I'm curious, one, if you've uh, ever heard of it, and two, what you think of it, because um, I heard this concept, not concept, I don't know what I'm calling it that, it's an actual thing. There are several villages in uh, in England, and there's actually only one of these in France, who have no World War One memorials, and they're called either blessed villages or lucky villages. I looked this up, and they're obviously unique in that circumstance because they didn't lose anyone in in yeah. the Great War. And so, one, I was wondering if you'd heard of this, and and two, uh, just any thoughts you had because um, I don't. I think I've told you this before, and I've, I've told many people. When I was on my first Europe trip um, after college, I went to this tiny town in Ireland. I think it was Newcastle. I'm not sure. And in the train station, there was this big sort of pyramidal monument. And at first, I, I didn't know what it was. I had no idea, and I didn't care. And then I think I was waiting for the train, and so I was like, okay, well, I've got nothing better to do, so I'll just read this. And for context, this is a very small town, even in whatever year that was, I think 99. And they were having some huge festival the days that I was there, and everyone was sort of gathered for that. And even in the entire population, you could observe very, very small town. And this monument had was just covered in names. I mean, just ton, like dozens and dozens and dozens of names. And I started reading it, the names first. I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. I wonder, like, what do they all do? That was so cool. And then I happened to see, you know, the dedication, and it said. Basically, all these boys were killed in World War One, and suddenly I just I had this image, because I have no um, having been raised in Hillsborough, Oregon, I have no context for this. Where this tiny village, where the entire population in 1999, let's just say a few hundred people, maybe a thousand, were out celebrating something. You know, turn back the clock, and it's probably hundreds of people, not a thousand or a couple thousand, and this thing showing all of those dead. Boys, because they're probably seventeen right. to nineteen. Right. I mean, that's an entire generation gone, just gone. And I, I can't even imagine that because that's basically your, 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 like your older brother goes off to war, and then you get the terrible news he's been killed. But not only you, but everyone you know, like literally every person you have met mm -hmm. in your life, has it's, lost their oldest son. Interesting you bring that up because in my bicycling. Every, uh, even Hamlet, when I say Hamlet, I mean uh, uh, an area, a crossroads where maybe there's only two or three houses, um, there's a memorial for, for World War I. And uh, you don't see that for the Second World War. At least you don't, I haven't seen it in these little villages. Yeah. And I, I, was just, I was just amazed because no matter how small the village is, I mean, almost... Every village I've been in has a memorial, and it was, it, I don't think we can even comprehend. I mean, World War II was devastating, but I think 
because it was the first world war and because it was in the trenches and because yeah. so many young men died i mean basically the villages were wiped out of men yeah well and, and, and so with that when i found out about the blessed villages where i think it was it said there were three in england and then one in france i would imagine yes i, I mean i haven't heard of that before but I can imagine that, yes. I mean, and, and so what blew me away about that was first, there was the original context, which I just explained, but then there was this context of villages where that did not happen, and I thought, wow, what, what must that have been like? Because, you know, imagine the same scenario. Like, you've got an older brother, he's 17, he goes off to where he comes back, no big deal, and, and no one you know in the immediate environment has suffered that, and yet everyone around you has. And what is you know what is that like? What is that like to experience? Because let's say you then go off to Cambridge, and everyone at Cambridge who is not from your village is going through this post-traumatic process of yeah. like life has ended. This is this gigantically devastating thing that's just occurred, and you you know you you have some experience because of course you're aware of the war, but you don't have the experience of losing. But you're someone. only talking about three villages in the whole UK. Three yeah. villages. I believe that's it, but and that's why France, I think, is even more so because it, it's it's one village. I don't remember what the name of it is. It's in northern uh, Normandy, and it in, in actually five wars, it didn't lose anybody. And lucky them. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's just sort of one of those mind blowing things because, the, like I said, the first thing that I had to get used to was a village having its entire young men population wiped out, and then I had to get used to the concept of with that kind of thing happening everywhere, you don't suffer that same fate. And I, I just wonder what the psychological effects would be of things like that. I mean, clearly it's lots of therapy. Like the PhD uh, study there somewhere in that question. <laughs> no, I mean, that's kind of what I thought. Um, and, and two, I found it interesting that, they, they, that one of the names for these villages is the Blessed Villages, because I thought, well, what, did God not like any of the other ones? <laughs> I mean, that's the actual name of the village? Um, no, the, the name... No, no, it was a category. So the three villages in England yeah. are collectively called the lucky slash blessed villages. Yeah. Lucky, I think, absolutely is accurate, but blessed, it's like, so God hated London and Cambridge and all these other towns, but liked these ones. I, I just, you know, it's one of those ideas where it's like, if you carry it to it, its logical conclusion, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's why I brought it up, was I, I was interested yeah. if you heard about it and you thought about sur- it. On the surface, it makes sense in a, in a daily living sort of thing. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but but that's what I'm saying is 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 I think that's the immediate. If you carry it to its logical conclusion, it's inescapable that if we are to assume that it is true that those villages were blessed, that brings up a whole bunch of questions like, well, why them? Why not anybody else? What does that mean? Why the favor uh, the favoritism? You know, all that sort of thing. So I'm sure but you're living I, in but, that. But, but if I as just just I mean uh, just just as a nice thing to do. Putting quotations around the nice If I, as your father, to my son said, "Bless," that means I'm just saying, "I love you, I care about you, I hope good things for you." Doesn't have anything to do with religion, even though you're using that word. Is it possible for you to accept my blessing? Oh yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I, but but you can't ignore that that is one of the major implications of that word. I mean, it it does carry that connotation. Yes, but is it in a bad way? Um, 
Not necessarily. I, I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't looking to find... Actually, I don't think I said this, but I wasn't looking to find bad in it. I just I found it striking um, mm. because it's, it's denoting a specific theistic implication yes, to, it does. It does. To, to, to a situation which, if you follow yeah. that line of reasoning, you inescapably get to all of the other places that were not blessed or blessed. Yes, so, I mean, but I also think you can just think things to death. Uh, possibly. <laughs> and actually, I think on that note of thinking things to death, I think we are about... Yeah, yeah, we're 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 pretty much at the end. So um, I know you said you didn't really have anything to to throw out. Um, I'll just remind anybody who ends up watching this. Uh, I can be found at uh, atheistasshole.com, all one word, and at Anton A Hill, all one word, on Twitter. If one were so interested, and I think you said you don't have anything like that that you would want people to know about. So is that you mean a website I, or whatever? You know. Well. No, if they want to contact me, they can contact you. <laughs> okay, great. I'll get all of your all of your fan mail. And on that note, thanks so much, Dad, for joining me on oh, this, this deal. It was fun. It was fun. And Good to see you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in fact, I was just thinking this is so easy. We should do this more often. Not not the broadcasting of it, obviously, but just the the it of it. Um, but uh, but with that, um, thanks anybody for watching and. Um, Got somebody lined up for next weekend, I think. And uh, as I've warned before, this may or may not be a weekly thing. It entirely depends. Uh, wave goodbye. But, uh, yeah, let's 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 do that. Let's wave. <laughs> okay. So with that, uh, thanks for watching, and catch you next time. And clicking on the little little thing.